Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello, everybody. We're back with our 10th episode of the Miller Oddcast. I continue to be Mark McKee, Managing Editor of the Missouri Review, and I'm joined today by TMR's contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and our audio contest intern, Olivia Douglas. Hi. Hello. This episode, we feature the first finalist in the audio documentary category for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize, Elizabeth Caldwell, whose piece is entitled Another Inch. Elizabeth Caldwell is an independent audio producer living in Norman, Oklahoma. Another Inch got its start in 2019 as a final project for a class. What you will hear is only a small fraction of the hours of tape collected for the story. Bailey and Olivia, uh, let's start with a couple of thoughts about what makes this piece so resonant and intriguing. Yeah, I, I like so many things about this piece and I know we have, our, each, each one of us has, has things that we admire about it. What I particularly loved was the feeling of being taken along on this adventure of discovery. The, the dialogue particularly is a little different than the other pieces that we've heard in this round of finalists and that you know, it's recorded natural speech. So we get the, the very human parts of natural speech, the ums, the stutters, the little bits of confusion at the beginnings of a phone call. And I love that, that it feels like I'm there. It feels like I'm, I'm also on this, on this journey on, in answering this question that, that Elizabeth Caldwell has. I also, I also really loved that this piece focuses on Andy, and I don't want to give too much away, but he's such an interesting character, and I really admired how much Elizabeth treats him and his story with such care. Um, and finally ends up really giving us his perspective. Um, And I I really appreciated the way that she handled that and the way that we were able to to see things from from his viewpoint. So those are just a few things that I really liked about it. Um, But Olivia, I know you might have had something else that you wanted to talk about. You had some thoughts that I loved. Yeah, um, so kind of bouncing off of what you said of the listener being taken along while she tells her story, um, early on in the piece, you hear the sound of crickets. And so like that really pulls the listener in and I think sets the scene where you can almost see um, parts of the scenery, like an old barn or like um, the muggy air of August um, that just kind of sticks to you. Um, but she also at one point mentions, um, so in Caldwell's piece, she talks about walking on this tombstones and how she doesn't really want to do that because it kind of wears the names away. Right. Um, and when she was talking about that and as I was listening, it made me think of Versailles, um, because, uh, in Versailles, you can go up some steps to go visit different floors and, as you're walking up the steps, you can see how, because of all the tourists and all the people who have visited, those steps have over time been worn away and have concaved. Um, And 
in that like both of these objects represent history in some form or fashion, right? Um, and they represent more than just a building or where somebody has been laid to rest. For Versailles, it represents where the kings of France, um, not only where they stayed, but kind of what they're focused on. And you can see that as you visit Versailles. And then as Caldwell mentions in her piece, the tombstones aren't just um, pieces of stone where you can visit a loved one, but they also represent death. And then she allows the listener to decide kind of what to do with that. Yeah, I think that I've enjoyed both of your comments. And I think what I was most taken with kind of throughout is this idea of being the detective, but what you're unraveling is a kind of local mystery. Um, it's not it's not a mystery that necessarily um, anyone would ever try to solve. It, it, it becomes a special kind of uh, kind of act of, of honoring kind of like people when you take that work up. A lot of literature and its audio equivalents for me are, ju are just versions of being a detective, whether you're the reader or if you're a writer or just a character in the story. This audio doc behaves that way, which I love. I also think that in the end, though, it, it kind of progresses under the sign of journalistic practice. You know, you're doing interviews, you're gathering information, you're trying to put a story together. Um, it's not just after facts or information. It's not after necessarily an answer, but it takes a real interest in, the, in a deeper meaning and a deeper sense of what it means to, and so variously means to be human. So thank you, Bailey and Olivia, for being with me here today as we uh, introduce Elizabeth Caldwell's piece, Another Inch. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. When I first moved into my rental in West Kinneybunk, Maine, the owner of the property, Jay, took me on a tour. It was early August, nighttime, the weather was warm. The place was an old farmhouse built in 1881. Jay pointed down at something in the walkway. He said a friend of his had come up with a good first line for a book. And her line was, nobody could quite remember how the headstones came to be part of the sidewalk. Dot, dot, dot. There were four headstones in the sidewalk. Names were chiseled into them. Three were for adults, James, Mary, and Abigail. The smallest was for Daniel, a baby. According to the stones, they all died in the mid to late 1800s. And they were real headstones? Yes. Laying just flat in the walkway? Laying flat, arranged um, symmetrically so that they were exactly part of the walkway. Jay's wife, Laura, told me she knew through research no one was buried under the stones. But walking on a headstone is worse than walking on a grave. A headstone is a memorial meant to last to as close to forever as a thing can. It might even be the final reminder of a person. Standing there that night, I couldn't think of anything worse than a name being slowly rubbed away by the feet of strangers until it was like it had never existed at all. So at first, I walked around the headstones. Eventually, though, for the sake of convenience, I walked on them. I started walking on them every day. I asked Jay if he walked on them, but he's a better person than me. I would always walk around them, and if I did have to step over them to not trip or something, I'd usually apologize, because it just kind of felt weird. Finally, I decided to use Jay's friend's line. So, 
Nobody could quite remember how the headstones came to be part of the sidewalk, dot, 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 until I found out. When we purchased the house, it was in uh, the end of March and there was still a lot of snow on the ground. And so as the weather warmed up, uh, we started to notice that there were names in the sidewalk. That's Lara, Jay's wife. Finding the headstones was a surprise, but she and Jay weren't totally in the dark. There were stories in the neighborhood. One story was that the previous owner of the house, Andy, who passed away, stole the headstones from a cemetery. I asked Lara what kind of person would steal headstones. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to be careful here. Um, that uh, he wasn't the most popular person in the neighborhood. Andy would do things like pile up brush on the perimeter of the property and leave it to rot where everyone could see. And he had an interesting approach to home improvement. Uh, there's a, a hallway that um, I refer to as the um, hallway of laminate flooring samples. So if you ever need to look for a different kind of laminate flooring, you could come look in my hallway and you could see five different types. Maybe Andy was just eccentric, but his story is darker. In his obituary, it says he died unexpectedly in the house before the age of 50. When I search Andy's name, I find he was arrested on charges related to alcohol and drugs more than once. Okay, I am, I'm so sorry. This is going to be kind of a weird call. I am looking for um, some information on um, Andrew Wilbur. Were you related to him? He's my son. That's Mary. She keeps referring to Andy in the present tense. She says they don't talk a lot. I sort of was hoping to get an idea about, about his personality. So I was wondering if he was... <laughs> You're a funny woman. Do you know how old he is? No. You don't? Oh, he's in his 40s. He's in his 40s? Yeah. I don't know if Mary really doesn't know Andy passed away, or if she doesn't know I know, or if she's in some sort of heartbreaking denial. But I start to back out of the conversation in any case. Just before I say goodbye for the final time, Mary does say Andy passed away. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I, I was a little worried that you didn't know. I was like, oh, of course I know. Of course I know. Yeah, okay. He was my firstborn child. We stay on the phone. In the background, a man's voice has been piping up. It's Doug, Andy's stepfather. Hi, Doug. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for talking to me. I, I is, really appreciate it. This is it. definitely a strange conversation, i got to tell you. <laughs> Oh, I know it. I know it. Doug remembers the headstones well. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, you know, Jesus, Andy, tell me you didn't go dig these frickin' things up. No, nope. and I'm, I'm positive he talked to uh, the code enforcement officer to make sure that it was legal. Doug says Andy found the headstones on the side of the road. When I ask why he might have wanted them at all, Doug puts Mary back on the phone. It's been a long time since I talked to someone and asked me about Andy. He was my firstborn and I was young. 
I was 18 when I had him. Mary says Andy had a restless mind and a high IQ. Andy was a very intelligent person. Straight A student also school. Put himself through college. A's B's. But Mary describes Andy as lost, a lost soul. She says it several times. I ask why, and she says he wanted children. And though he was married for many years, he never had any because he thought the world was too ugly. Why Andy liked unusual things starts to make sense. At least I formulate a theory. If Andy felt lost in an unkind world, maybe giving new purpose to discarded objects was meaningful to him. Like he was taking care of treasures, only he knew how to love. I get in touch with Andy's ex-wife. She tells me someone named Richard Bowen gave Andy the headstones. I start calling around to all the Richard Bowens I find online. My name is Elizabeth Caldwell. I'm looking for Richard Bowen. Right here. Hi. Um, did you know somebody named Andy Wilbur in Kinneybunk? No. Oh, so that's what, is what I'm What did you say to... that she got from um, some of your conversation I haven't understood? Okay. Tombstones. What? Headstones. what is that? Headstones. Oh, a tombstone, you're saying? Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, no, no, I never, I used to sell antiques, but I never sold any tombstones. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Caldwell. I was looking for Richard Bowen. If this is the right number, could you call me back? This went on for days. Finally, I text Andy's ex-wife. I ask her how I can get in touch with Richard Bowen to ask about the headstones. And she tells me I can't because he died a while ago. So Lara, who, remember, owns the house, is a Unitarian Universalist minister. While I'm looking for Richard, she does a sermon on memorials at her church and shows pictures of the headstones. And Hervey, can you see? Folks, see that? This is my sidewalk. The first is James H. Gary, who died in 1865. Afterwards, a woman at the church named Harpswell, she's named after a small town in Maine, approached Lara. She recognized the headstones because she lived next door to Andy for two years. I invite her over to West Kennebunk one rainy afternoon. Hi. Wow. Oh my goodness. It's gross yes. outside. Harpswell is a nurse practitioner in her late 30s. She's happy to talk about the time she spent in the neighborhood. Her daughter was born here at home, so the place has meaning for her. That's so funny because that's the first time that I've gone to church in six years. And I, as soon as she put the stones up on the screen, I was just like, what? <laughs> Those are the stones that I used to live next to. The headstones did come from Richard Bowen. They came from his family's farm in Springvale, Maine. They ended up at Andy's because Richard was Andy's housemate and good friend. Andy worshipped him, and I think that, I mean, Andy would talk about him just with so much love, with so much love. Part of that love had to do with bonds made in recovery. Both Richard and Andy were addicts, and they lived together for support. Harpswell says people liked Richard in general. He was nothing but sweet, she says. But why would he allow his family's headstones to be put in a walkway? When Harpswell knew Richard, he was in his late 60s. Gentle, shuffling gait, um, you know, not, not 
flamboyant movements or huge movements or anything. And he also um, would speak very softly. When Harpswell lived next door, she chatted with Richard now and then, not about anything big, just restaurants and things in the area. But after a year, Richard was diagnosed with Parkinson's and Harpswell saw him less. Just interest in life went down. So he, he became more reclusive over the course of that disease. Wow. I think, yeah. Was it because he couldn't? Why? I think he was depressed. I think the depression kind of made him become more sheltered. Before his death, Richard moved out of Andy's to live with family. He left the headstones behind, but he was never shy about them. He wanted to use them. And I mean, he wouldn't have made them into a walkway if he if he didn't want to use them as a walkway. And he walked on them. So... I mean, he never avoided them. Since I first saw the headstones, I haven't understood wanting to walk on something meant to be treated with respect. But then an image comes to mind. It's of a man, maybe like Richard, in his late 60s, soft-spoken with a gentle, shuffling gait. He's dying, and he knows it. And this man walking over the headstones, I do understand that. To him, the headstones are just another reminder of death how unfair it is, how random, how cruel, and how soon it will arrive. This man isn't going to give death the courtesy of a detour. He isn't going to give it another inch. Thanks for being with us on the Miller Oddcast number 10, featuring Elizabeth Caldwell's Another Inch. If you want to hear more of Elizabeth's work, listen to her podcast, Flyover Country. We'll put a link in the podcast notes. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram. Stay tuned for Miller Oddcast number 11, coming soon. In the meantime, do not sleep. Submissions are now open for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. Learn all about it at our website. Thanks also to the Missouri Review contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and TMR intern, Olivia Douglas, who joined me for this podcast, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. Finally, TMR is open for submissions year-round, and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Subscribe or submit your work today. Learn more at Missouri Review. Редактор субтитров